Well, if you are here this morning, I would encourage you, if you did not already, you can go through the door on the right-hand side there, and you can get an outline. Those are, at the last congregation, I always had a guy who always had his eyes shut, but he would nod the whole time. But when he did open his eyes, these were beneficial because as soon as he heard a sermon or a verse, he knew right where he was at in the sermon. He could just look at it and go. So if you get lost or if you want to confirm what I'm saying, do grab an outline. Now, with the topic that we're looking at, the Christian's influence, uh, this was not a topic I chose. You know, oftentimes I do pick topics from things I've heard in my secular workplace or things I maybe see on social media. This was a request. And let me say this, I probably am not going to approach it the way they wanted. Uh, as we talk about the Christian's influence, I'm not going to go through a list. You should do this. You should not do that. We'll mention a couple of things, but that is not the intent today, although that could be a follow-up sermon. Um, but we are going to look at it from a little bit of a different angle. And so let's begin to get a little bit of an of a understanding about the Christian's influence. I think the majority of us realize that much of our role in Christianity involves a focus on other people. That's seen both in our actions within the congregational body, but also within uh, our individual lives. What I mean is, is as a congregation, and many of you probably know this, as a congregation you get a reputation as a whole for the things that you do, the way that you act, and so forth. And the same thing happens for us as individuals. Now as we begin to talk about just a couple of those actions, and I'm just going to mention them and give you a passage, I think that majority of us realize these are things that people do look at or expect, and the Bible certainly does, for the one who claims to be a Christian. One of those things would be serving one another. Go on over to Galatians chapter 6. Not going to spend much time there other than to address this. I mean, this is one of the basic functions of Christianity. We do go out and we are to serve one another. In Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul writes by inspiration, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, notice the distinction here, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So certainly, uh, as a Christian, I should be doing good for all men, especially those of my brethren, right? Uh, if my neighbor were to need something, I should be one of those who would be willing to step up and to help them. If a fellow Christian needs something, again, I should be one that would step up and would be willing to serve on their behalf. Another thing that we would do is edification. As Christians, certainly both congregationally and individually, one of the things we do is to edify, Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Now, if you look that word up, edify, really it's the, the idea or the, the basis of building up one. And that happens in a lot of regards. We could actually do an entire sermon just on edification, how to edify. Another one would be encouragement, and actually this is really a, another attribute of edification. But we are to encourage one another. I'll touch on this again probably towards the very end of the sermon. Notice Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and this really shows one of the ways that we do encourage one another. Hebrews 10, 24, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, you would think that in the, let me pause for a second, you'd think in the first century that uh, being that Christians were suffering a lot of hardships, you would think that assembling with the other Christians to encourage one another and to help strengthen one another, you think that would be on the forefront of their mind. But notice what Paul says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, 
This was a problem even in the first century. People were skipping assembling with the saints. He goes on, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. That's one of the reasons we gather, is to help encourage one another. It's not the only reason. There's a whole host of other reasons. Uh, but that's just one of those things that we do. And we realize as we look at just, just a few of these things that I've mentioned that we do both congregationally and individually, uh, every one of these actions and many more that I'm not going to mention are actually motivated for our love for one another. My love for the non-Christian is going to, going to drive me to teach them the gospel. My love for the Christian is going to help me to encourage them, to edify. And the list would go on and on. Matter of fact, listen to Romans 12, 9 and 10. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. I don't think that's probably the mindset for many people today. Uh, most of the people today, if you guys haven't realized this, they have a, a me, me, me mentality. It's normally not, how can I help out my, my fellow Christian, my brother or my sister in Christ, or how can I help out my neighbor and so forth. And so while the congregational component certainly is necessary and is, it is important, I would say that many of us would probably agree that oftentimes it is our personal example to others which is actually more influential in drawing those around us to Christ, to become a Christian. I don't think that a lot of people, to be honest, probably go to our webpage and go, that's really, that, that's the deal breaker. I want to become a Christian now. I don't think most people come to our website and see that. Uh, it is possible someone may begin to start to worship with the body and begin to hear what we say and have an understanding and all that. But to be honest, the majority of this, I think, usually comes from person-to-person -person interaction. Christian's influence. And we'll begin to talk a little bit about that. Certainly we are to aim for individual growth, uh, and we do have individual responsibilities, uh, and each person's going to be held accountable, not only for those, but another, a number of other things. And we have individual needs, we have, uh, we have individual things that we desire, and I think oftentimes there are certain people within the, within the church that maybe don't focus so much on those. I would say this is a minority, and I'll touch on why in just a second. There are those, as I mentioned earlier, are me, me, me. That's all they think about. <clears throat> you then have another set of group which do not think that way. They're oftentimes always thinking about others. Um, I've been within, with a few different congregations over my time, and even before I was a Christian, I went to a church. Have you guys ever realized that oftentimes within church congregations there are a few select people that seem to do all of the work? You guys ever notice that? They seem to do all the edifying. They seem to do the majority of the encouraging. They seem to be the ones that are constantly doing what other people are not. One of the things we need to do is begin to examine ourselves. Let's go on over to 2 Corinthians 13.5. You may be saying, I thought this was about the Christian's influence. We're going to get there in just a second. There's a lot of things we have to understand as we talk about the fundamentals of our influence before we then talk about our influence itself. 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul tells the church in Corinth, if you guys didn't realize the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, they were messed up. They had all kinds of problems. You will find that the majority of those problems were rectified as we find out in 2 Corinthians. Paul tells them in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 13, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. 
Now, as we begin to talk about our influence, one of the things I, I want to start off with is, is every one of us had really better start to examine ourselves. This isn't me preaching to you. This is me simply teaching what the Bible says, and then I have to do the same thing I'm asking you to do. I need to begin to ask, I need to examine myself as we talk about our influence, okay? One of the things we know, and we started to touch on it, is, is we are to be servant-minded. We already covered that in Galatians 6, 9, and 10 at the beginning of the sermon. But listen to Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. All right. How many of you would agree that Christ was, He was servant-minded? Our Lord and Savior, the one in all power, all authority, was servant-minded. And we're going to touch on His influence here in a second. But we also are to be servant-minded. And I could give you a lot of passages. I'll tie this one up here in just a second and relate it to the Christian. We need to be steadfast in our work. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And you may say, well, what is my work? Well, your, vo your vocation, uh, if you look through the scriptures, is Christianity, right? I go and I have a secular job. That's not, that's not my vocation. Uh, I'm a Christian. And then that's what I do as a Christian. Voc my vocation is Christianity. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren... Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's my work right there. My work is, my labor is to be in the Lord. I am to, that's my vocation. Now, with all that being, being uh, or going on, we realize at the same time we are to be doing these things, and yet we realize that we also have to take care of ourselves in the process. Sometimes individuals are so servant-minded and usually this is limited to a few, I hate to say this, but it's oftentimes very limited. They're so servant-minded that they begin to neglect themselves to the point that they begin to become worn out, they get burned out, they get disheartened, they get discouraged, and sometimes, you'll find this hard to believe, they even get aggravated at the fact that they have to work so hard while other people choose not to. Uh, let me put it in a simpler let me put it in a simpler method. How would you guys feel if every day when we came in here, one of these there's a light bulb right there not working? What if every day we came in there was a light bulb that did not work? But it never got replaced because how many of you guys ever known this? That's not my job. That's somebody else's job. You know what would happen within a few years? We wouldn't have any light bulbs in here anymore, would we? Now, I won't say where this took place, but where I I know of a congregation where there was a gentleman who mowed the yard every Sunday. The yard was four acres. It wasn't a nice lawnmower like we have, so it took about four hours. He was the only person that mowed that yard for four years straight. How many of you guys think you wouldn't have gotten aggravated that nobody else would help out? Do you think that would happen? But, but who has to mow the yard? Somebody. I won't go back and talk about that gentleman. That guy was a hard worker. <clears throat> Very influential on those who also wanted to be faithful Christians. We realize that we have to work hard. We realize we're to be servant-minded, and yet, oftentimes because some people aren't servant-minded, others pick up the slack. And sometimes that leads to people who are upset. They're burned out. They're wore out. 
one of the things we need to understand as we begin to talk about our, our influence is the Christian is supposed to be willing to make self-sacrifices. Let's go on over to Matthew 10, 38 through 39. <clears throat> Matthew 10, 38. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. When we become Christians and we understand we are, we are to work on the Lord's behalf, and I'm not just talking about mowing the yard. It, it, takes, it takes somebody to clean the building. It takes someone to come up and lead singing. It takes someone to lead prayer, to lead the Lord's Supper, for someone to speak every week. And hopefully whoever's doing those things, whether it's mowing the yard, changing light bulbs, whatever, you hope that they, they take it serious and they, that they put time into what it is that they're doing because we're to be diligent, and that takes self-sacrifice. Uh, I, I have known ministers who you could tell when they spoke made no sacrifice at all throughout the week to study the topic and to be prepared. Have you guys ever seen that take place? It's evident to everybody. There needs to be self-sacrifice. And so we need to exert the necessary effort to carry out the work of the church, to strengthen Christians, also to reach out to the non-Christians with the gospel. And I know that can be very tiring at times. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 2 through 4. We'll see what Paul writes here to the church in Thessalonica. He says, We give thanks to God always for you all. <laughs> he must have been from Tennessee. For y'all. He says, Making mention of you in our prayers... Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, notice this, and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Now that word labor, we know what that word means, right? I grew up on a farm, and so when we had to go out and to labor, let's say we were digging fence posts or whatever it was, there's hard work involved in that. There's hard work in our, our faith as Christians. Uh, individually, we need to be working on behalf of the church. Congregationally, the church should be working. Uh, and there are a number of things we do. We put, out, we put out media 24 hours a day, seven days a week through multiple platforms. We're constantly uploading videos. All the different things we're trying to do to reach people around us. So both individually and congregationally, we have things that we're involved in. And yet we have to be careful that we, we don't carry such a heavy load that we get burned out. And that's why we need involvement and participation. Now, with all, this, with all of this together, uh, our behavior amongst the world, both as a congregation and as individuals, is seen. And so is the way that we don't work sometimes, and so is the way that we have a lack of love sometimes, uh, and so is any of the other negative things that we do. We're going to, so now we're going to start to talk about the influence. This was actually what was requested. What was my point of all that? There's fundamentals of our influence. There are things we're supposed to do congregationally. There are things we're supposed to do individually. Sometimes those things are looked at as being positive when we're carrying them out. Sometimes those things are looked at negatively when we're not carrying them out. So now let's begin to bring this to more of a personal level. <clears throat> Who exactly is it that we influence? We've seen a little bit about the fundamentals of our influence. Uh, who exactly is it that we, we influence? Well, let's talk a little bit about the effect of our influence first as we get into this. Is our influence actually a Christian influence or is it a worldly influence? That may seem like an un, un, unusual question because you might be thinking, well, Sean, you're talking about Christians. 
the Christian influence. Do any of you guys, any of you guys know people who are Christians who don't live like Christians, who don't act like Christians? Whether we like it or not, we do have an influence on other people. Uh, and we need to have a Christian influence or an example to demonstrate the life that's man mandated within our scriptures and expected of us as followers of Christ and also in order to draw people to Christ. Now, again, it's very sad. There are Christians whose influence is similar, if not exactly, just like the world. And the sad thing is, is for those that live like the world and think like the world, and do things like the world, even though they're Christians, their consequences are going to be the same as the world. And we could go back and look at a number of passages. Uh, let me just wrap it up in a nutshell. If you die in a sinful state with unrepented sin as a Christian, guys, the end result is an everlasting punishment of wrath. I really don't want to go into that sermon. Uh, we've covered that before. It comes across as very negative, and a lot of people won't talk about it anymore. But that's, that's the truth of our scriptures. Uh, and so, in essence, their influence is really a detriment to the gospel. Again, how many of you guys know someone who goes around telling everybody that they're a Christian and they're involved in some of the most heinous things you've ever seen or heard of? I've seen that. How many of you guys have heard someone say, some Christians are hypocrites? Well, some of them are. I told someone again the other day, some of the meanest people I know are Christians. Why? They're not, they don't have a, a, a Christian influence on other people. They have a worldly influence. They're literally a detriment to the gospel. If you think about it, our influence as Christians is probably one of the greatest motivational factors in the world. Some will be motivated by it. Some will not. Uh, let's look at it this way. Do you guys recall when you were little playing follow the leader? You remember that? Do you know people are still doing that today and they don't, even, they don't even realize it? If you go back and check out some of the studies, you'll find that about 90% of how we learn is visual. The other 10% is obtained through the senses like hearing, feeling, taste, smelling, whatever. In my secular workplace, we have, we have work instructions, but do you know what we actually normally do when we start a brand new job? We go out to the machine, you've got processors, you've got engineers, you've got quality people, you've got everything. And we actually show them by doing it. We do the job for them. And they also have work instructions with pictures so they can read it and see it. They can watch it. And then guess what? Then we stand back and we watch them do it. So they actually learn from watching, from reading, from seeing, and then from doing. But the majority of people I have come into contact with, and I think it agrees with the study I looked at, the majority of people say, I learn best just from watching. I watch a guy build it. I see how he puts it together. And that's what I learn from. So... If 90% of people learn visually, then you could really see the importance of our influence upon others. Notice again what Jesus says over in Matthew 5.16. Let your light, we're talking about our, our influence, our Christian influence. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What's the idea behind that? Well, I live a certain way. People see it. The way that I live, behave, interact, all of those things bring glory to God. Right? I am glorifying the Father simply through my behavior, and that behavior is an influence on other people. Let's go on over to 1 Timothy 4.12. We see what Paul tells Timothy. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. Right? We're talking about his influence here. Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, 
in charity or love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. What's he telling Timothy? You need to be, you need to be a, a good influence upon them. Let them see you do these things so you can influence them. Romans 12, 2. Notice what Paul tells the church in Rome. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our influence is supposed to show other people how not to be conformed to the world. All the people that are walking around today, they see how to be conformed to the world, right? They go to social media, YouTube, Facebook, they watch TV. They see how to be conformed to the world. What they need to see is our influence, which shows them how to not be conformed to the world, right? To live according to the scriptures. What is the basis for that influence that I am, I am giving to others? What's the basis for that influence? Let's go on over to Philippians 4.8. Most of you know this passage. Before I read it, ask yourself this. <clears throat> I wonder if I had this mindset through the entirety of the week. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good rapport, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. All right, so we need to not only be saying the right things, we need to be thinking the right things and doing the right things. Why? That's what allows me to have a Christian influence on others as opposed to a worldly influence. Now, who exactly do I, do I affect through my influence? Well, let's begin to talk for just a second about our influence in the home. And like I said, I'm going to approach this really different. Probably not at all what the person who requested this was thinking. They may have been thinking more of a, a list by item. We're not going to do that. Uh, we're going to start and look at a couple of subcategories, and I'm going to point some things out. I think when you begin to talk about the influence in the home, I would go so far as to say this is probably the most important. What's the saying? So as the home goes, everything goes, right? If you're raising godly people, you have a godly civilization. If you have a godly civilization, the people who are in the political arena, even they are godly. Whether, whether they're working... Did you guys realize this? no, uh, nothing against John over there. John works on cars. You guys know that there used to be a reputation that mechanics were dishonest. Uh, if everybody was raised correctly in the home, you wouldn't have dishonest mechanics. Let me say this also, preachers are now ranked below mechanics. We're even worse than mechanics are as far as being honest, they say. My point is simply this though, if you begin to, if everybody raised children who were faithful, you'd, you would have faithful people everywhere. Mechanics, ministers, they would be on TV asking for your money, name it, claim it, and all that stuff. Okay, here's my point though. So as the home goes, so does everything else go, right? And so I, I would say that's probably the most important influence that we have. It starts when our children are small, but it is not just our children that are, infect, uh, that are affected by influence. It's husbands affecting wives and wives affecting husbands, okay? And here's what I found interesting. Let's go on over to the book of Acts. Because when you begin to look at the book of Acts, and you know, for the most part, when we talk about the book of Acts, we're talking about conversions, conversion accounts. That's what the book of Acts is, right? It's interesting, there's a heavy focus on the home seen throughout the book of Acts. So let's go on over to Acts 10. Let me, let me summarize this because I am not going to give a whole sermon here on Cornelius. Cornelius was the very first Gentile convert. We learn a lot about the Jew. Peter specifically learning, hey, the Gentiles, they're not 
they're not uh, unclean, uh, and they're actually going to become part of the church, okay? That's what we see going on in this account. But I want to focus in on Cornelius here for a second. Cornelius, a Roman uh, centurion, a soldier. And notice what we find here, Acts 10, 1 through 2. And I think a lot of people probably missed this in a couple of conversion accounts. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house. Let me pause for a minute. This is a Gentile, but he fears God with all his house. And notice, notice what he does. Which gave much alms to the people. Alms is doing good deeds, right? People need food, I give them food. They need help with clothing, I give them clothing, whatever. Alms can cover a number of things. So here he is, he's a Gentile, but he fears God. He's, help, he's helping out his fellow man. And it says, and he prayed to God always. You imagine working with a guy like this? How would, you like, how would you like to, if you were a Roman soldier, a Gentile, be under a guy like this? He fears God, he's constantly helping other people, and he's praying all the time. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that influenced his family? It's interesting when you go back and you read the conversion account here, uh, his leadership clearly w with, his, with his wife resulted in children who feared God. Uh, the influence of Cornelius actually results uh, in his family and his friends all being in the correct spot when Peter shows up to hear the gospel being preached. And we find that not only does he, a man who, was, who, who feared God, who was helping people out and prayed to God always, not only do we find that he obeys the gospel, but so does his entirety of his household. That's the influence of this guy. This is a guy whose family falls in line. And not only that, when Peter shows up, he doesn't just have his family there to hear. He's got his friends there. How do you think, how do you think that happened? He had to have gone out and gotten them, right? There's a guy coming to, to preach. Uh, I'll touch on that. Actually, I'll touch on that uh, here in just a second. I'm going to give you another verse. Uh, why would... Put the little pin up there. Why would Cornelius go get all of his friends? Why was his family and friends all together in one place? I'm going to give you the answer to that in just a second. Let's move on and talk about Lydia for just a second. Go on over to Acts 16. We're going to look at starting in verse 13. What do we learn about Lydia? And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where, pray, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. Let me pause for a second. This isn't in my notes, but you may be wondering, why are the women down by the river? I know I've explained this a few times. Uh, in a community, if you did not have 10 Jewish families, you did not have a synagogue. Okay? You had to have at least 10 families for there to be a synagogue. If you didn't have a, a, at least 10 families, the Jews would still get together and worship, but they would do it somewhere in a communal setting, and oftentimes we find it was down by the river. Uh, and so that's why these Jewish women and whoever, is el whoever else is here, that's why they are gathered together. Okay, it goes on. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she, be she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Now here's what's interesting. Here she is. She's down by the river. Paul shows up. He begins to preach to her. And it says in our scriptures that she attended to the things spoken by Paul. 
we don't actually get word-by-word account of what Paul said, but you may be asking, what was Paul teaching on? What was he talking about? Well, he was teaching the gospel, and that includes baptism. And you know how I know that? Because right after it says that she attended the things spoken by Paul, we learn in verse 15, she got baptized. So whatever Paul was talking about, it included talking about the need to be immersed in water for the remission of your sins. But here's what I find interesting. It's not just her that gets baptized. So does her household. We learn a little bit about Lydia here. How many of you guys, before you were Christians or when you were little, you got drugged to church by your ear? Uh, I grew up Catholic, and I was an altar boy. Uh, I didn't take it serious. Uh, but the option of going to church was not an option. You went to church. There was a reason for that. Well, it's interesting that Lydia here, she's got her household with her. My guess is it wasn't an option to gather for worship. We learn an awful lot about Lydia. Not only did she obey the gospel, so does her household. They were there with her. Let's go on and talk about the Philippian jailer for just a minute. Go on over to Acts 16, 27 through 33. Notice what we learn here. Again, I'm not going to go back and, and give the entire accounts, but we know what happened. Uh, there's an earthquake that takes place. Uh, miraculously, the doors open up, and this jailer, the one who's in charge of keeping the prisoners, he thinks they've all escaped. Right? And so you guys know what happens when the prisoners escape and you're a Roman soldier? <laughs> I see someone going like this. We're, we're, we're going to get removed from YouTube for doing this, right? Uh, you get killed, right? So he's not going to wait for it. He's just going to do it himself. Listen to Acts 16, verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all his, all his what? All his family members that were there that heard this, straightway. Now, you'll find people that will actually teach. The Bible doesn't say this, doesn't teach this. They'll say, well, uh, and the Catholics actually use this, this supports infant sprinkling or immersion, or that uh, children, infants can be dedicated to the Lord and become Christian. I'm not going to go on over to Acts chapter 8, but when the, when the Ethiopian eunuch says, See, there is water, what prohibiteth me from being baptized? Philip says, Thou mayest if thou believest. You can only become a baptized believer if thou believes, right? It means to have understanding. Babies can't understand. Uh, I got sprinkled when I was, a, when I was a, an infant as a Catholic. It took me to the church against my will. They held me over a big thing of water, they took a bucket, they poured, well, more ornamental than that, and they took a big vase and they poured water all over me while I kicked and screamed and yelled. Let me make it more, let me make it more relatable. It's the equivalent of me going out on the street, waiting for one of the runners to come by, snagging him and bringing him, and, and against his will, putting him in the water. You think it'd do any good? It didn't do any good for me as a child either, right? So that's not what's taking place here. The Philippian jailer's family that obeyed the gospel, uh, they were there, they heard it, 
they understood it, okay? They had to be able to believe to obey the gospel. Do you think any of this would have happened, though, if we wouldn't have had his influence upon his family? Probably not. I do have to make a disclaimer. Just because you have good influence within a household doesn't mean that everybody will be influenced for the good. We have free will, right? Uh, and, and so it happens we make our own decisions. Let's look at one more person before we move on. Let's look at Crispus. This is an interesting one, too. Acts 18, verses 5 through 8. And when Silas and Timotheus, Timothy, were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit. He's, he is actually uh, giving revelation here, inspired revelation. He was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. Let me pause for a second. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> you Jews don't want to hear me? Your blood's on your own hands. You guys don't want to hear it? I'm going to go tell the Gentiles. Verse 7. And he, debart, he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, he believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. All right, let's talk about another person here. We have Crispus. Crispus is a Jew who believes God. Judaism is not in effect at this time. When Paul is out preaching the gospel, Jesus is already hung on the cross. He's already shed his blood for the remission of sins. And so Judaism is not in effect. Colossians 2.14, I don't think that's in your notes. It's been nailed to the cross. You can't be faithful and just under the law of Moses anymore. And so this... This gentleman here, Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, he's under a system of faith which cannot save them. However, he hears the truth, and so he obeys the gospel. Now, here's something I do want to point out before I move on. You guys ever notice some people say it doesn't really matter what group you worship with. All you got to do is believe in God. It doesn't, matter, it doesn't even really matter who you worship with or what you actually believe uh, as long as you are a believer. Let me ask you a question. If that is the truth... If that's the truth, why would Crispus, who was the chief ruler of the synagogue, leave that faith and join another faith? And if you don't know much about Christians, they were persecuted. The chief ruler of the synagogue, he had it good. He wasn't being persecuted. Christians were. He leaves his position as the chief ruler of the synagogue to become a Christian. So if it doesn't matter what group you worship with or what it is you believe, why would you have him leaving this group? Well, I already mentioned the law of Moses was nailed to the cross. It wasn't in effect anymore. So that idea of, well, you can worship in X group or Y group or Z group and it doesn't matter, that's not the truth. That's not what we find anywhere in our scriptures. But the point is here. Here you've got a Jew who became a Christian, and so did his entire family. As the chief ruler of the synagogue, I'm going to infer for a second, because his family we know obeyed the gospel, if he's the chief ruler of the synagogue, I'm going to infer that he was a very godly person. His family saw that influence. And so when he came to the realization that the law of Moses was no longer in effect and had been replaced by the Christian system, by the New Testament faith, and that was understood, they followed his example in obeying the gospel. You don't think that had something to do with his influence? I think the Christian's influence is really going to impact the home a whole lot more than what we really realize, not just on our children, but also, again, on both spouse and children. 
And even when we don't think that oftentimes our influence is making a difference, we really cannot under, underestimate the influence that we have on those of our family and our friends. Let me give you another example. When I was in school, there was a gentleman who showed up. Uh, he was in a different quarter than I was when I started. Uh, he had left the church. He had been out of the church for 20 some years. 20 some years. Uh, and he said, you know, when he left the church, he, was very, he became very worldly. And he said, I didn't think about the church. But he said, as I got older, I began to think about the things that I was taught by my parents. And I began to think about how they would take me to church. And he, he said, I began to think about how the members of the church uh, interacted with me. And he said, here's what, here's what kept him out of the church for so long. He said, I was so ashamed because of what I've done, I couldn't bring myself to come back to the church and to repent of what I had done. He knew that he had been living a horrible influence upon others. And he said it was interesting when he came back, before he could even get up to repent of, the, of really leaving the faith for so many years, they all hugged him and they were so excited. Let me ask you a question. What do you think their influence was as a church family upon him in really, really receiving the prodigal son back? Do you think he would have been so eager to come back if they stiff-armed him at the door and said, you're a horrible rank sinner and we wonder where you've been all this time? The influence of the church family was just as significant on him as our influence is on our own personal families. Let's talk about somebody else that we, we oftentimes will influence. That's not the people necessarily within our household, but it's fellow Christians. Let's go on over to 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. And I want you to notice what Paul tells the church. And this really, it really breaks it down in a nutshell. He says, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul says, I follow Christ. That's, that's why my actions are the way that they are. And I am asking you to follow after me. What's he saying? I was influenced by Christ. I follow him. Therefore, I'm asking you to be followers of me as I follow Christ. The idea is, is, have you guys ever seen when ducks walk in a line? Like the first one goes and everyone else just falls in line and follows. It's the same idea that Paul is showing here. I'm following Christ. You can see how I'm living. I'm asking you to be followers of me, imitators of me. That's really what that word is. Let's go to Philippians 4.9. These things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Let me pause for a second. Paul's talking about his influence. They, remember I said earlier, 90% of the things were visual, and the other one come through our, our senses, the other 10%. Notice how he says it again, the things that you've both learned and received and heard and seen in me. That's all of that wrapped up. He says, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. What's he saying? You've seen my influence upon you. You've seen the way that I've lived. I've taught it to you. I've shown it to you. And you need to do this so that the God of peace shall be with you. Let's go on over to Acts 20, 18, as we're considering the example of Paul. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. What's he saying? You've seen my influence in action. You know that what I'm saying is true because it's also the way that I live. Right? You, you've, known, you've known who I am and what I am because you've literally seen me doing it. Now, let me ask you guys a question. And I thought a little bit about this, and I had a couple of names come into my mind. 
How many of you guys have ever been encouraged or motivated or strengthened by, by another Christian, by a brother or sister in Christ who was a very good example when you needed it? Think for just a second. Have any of you been influenced by another Christian to continue to be faithful, to be steadfast, to not give up, to hold to the faith? Can you think of anybody? If you can, nod your heads. Did you ever tell them? Can you imagine how they would be encouraged and influenced simply by the fact that you told them you were influenced and encouraged because of their behavior? I think oftentimes we in the church fall short in this area. I think oftentimes we do. Listen to Philippians 3.17, and you've probably never noticed this. Philippians 3.17, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, Brethren, be ye followers together. That word actually, those two words, followers together, is be joint imitators. That's actually how it's rendered in the modern literal version. Uh, if you are here and you do not, I think most of you probably have one. Uh, it is, in my opinion, the most accurate translation of the New Testament that exists. It is, I've not found any mistakes in it. Uh, if you're here and you don't have one, let me know. If your family doesn't have one, I will get you one down in the office. That's how it is rendered here. Brethren, be joint imitators of me. Notice this, and mark, or note, them which walk so as ye have us for an example. You know, normally when we talk about noting people or marking people, it's not for a good thing, right? Well, it's the complete opposite in this verse because he is basically saying, note those people that walk who are followers of me, joint imitators of me, right? Note those people. Why? I think most of us know the examples we ought not to follow. But guess what? We have brothers and sisters in Christ who are examples that we ought to follow. We should note those people. Not only should we note them, they ought to know it. So... Yeah, we certainly impact our families through our influence. We impact fellow Christians through our influence. Let's talk about the non-Christian for just a minute. I'm going to go on over to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We're going to look at Jesus, His words here. And Jesus came and He spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Holy Ghost in the King James Version. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. What is he saying? Well, you need to be going out and you need to be evangelizing. Right? You need to be going out and to reaching out to the lost. How do we do that? Well, we do that with the gospel. And I'm going to go back to the account there with Cornelius. Remember I told you put a little pin there? Why did Cornelius have all of his friends and family there together when Peter showed up. Listen to what this angel told him in Acts eleven fourteen, Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? Cornelius said, oh, somebody's showing up. They're going to tell me the words by which I can be saved. So he gathered his friends and his family, and he got them all together so Peter could come and preach the gospel. Jesus has told us to go out and to preach the gospel. Guys, our, our good examples in life, our personal influence upon others, it can't take the place of teaching. But neither can teaching take the place of a good example. Let me, give you an, let, me, let me break it down this way. I have known people who claim to be Christians. Some of them, some of them were. 
Uh, and, and they would go around and they would try to tell people to become Christians. You know, they'd teach the gospel, and everything they said was true. But they were such horrible people, <laughs> and they were so offensive, and they lived in such a way where people usually called them hypocrites and whatever, that even though they were teaching them the truth on the fact that they needed to become Christians and how to become a Christian, they looked at their influence and went, if that's what Christianity is, I'm not going to do it. Right? So teaching the truth alone isn't going to solve it. And yet, on the flip side, just living as a Christian alone is not. I know people who are faithful Christians who, who live good examples, but they never reach out to anybody else around them to try to get them to become a Christian. People see that they're different, but they don't know why. So the two have to go hand in hand. We have to have both the influence and the teaching. Ask yourself this question. Why would the concept of faith or the importance of faith be important to a person who is not a Christian if they don't see it as important in my life or if they don't see it being so important that I live a certain way in my life? Here's what I'm saying. People may hear what I'm saying and they may even see what I'm doing. But oftentimes, if, it, if those things are negative, it just, it just enforces to them that I really don't believe the Bible or I wouldn't live this way. And other times you have people who are the complete opposite, right? They, may, they can live and be very good moral people. They do the right things. They say the right things. But they're not doing it to be a faithful Christian. They, they, you have atheists who are good moral people. You have agnostics who are good moral people. The Christian is to not only be out teaching the gospel and showing it, but we are also to be teaching the exact same thing. That all wraps up into our influence. And as we begin to summarize this, really, we need to be looking as Christians, because I can't look to another person here to be my prime example on how I ought to live. Right? I need to be looking at Jesus. I need to be following the example of Jesus. Listen to John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man come unto the Father but by me. Jesus was the example. Right? The influence of Jesus, I would say, was probably the biggest influence to ever affect man. And Jesus isn't here today, but the followers of Jesus are here today. And we continue to influence man, guess what, by being imitators of Christ. 1 Peter 2.21, For even hereunto were ye called. Why were you called? Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow His steps. That's what a Christian is supposed to do. That's actually what allows the Christian to have what we would call a Christian influence upon others. We follow in the steps of Christ. Now with that being said, Certainly, we need to be a good example. We need to be an influence on others. So let me ask this question as I draw it to a close. Every one of us needs to go back and we need to examine ourselves and we need to begin to ask ourselves some things. Where are some areas within my personal influence on others where I'm falling short? What are some things I can do as a, as a Christian to reach out and not only to help those who are non-Christians to become Christians, but what can I do as a Christian to help strengthen and encourage and uplift my fellow brother and sister in Christ? That's not something that I can cover 
in a sermon. That's something that each of us have to look at and examine within ourselves and say, where is my shortcoming and how can I better influence those around me? As I draw this to a close, my concern would be for anybody who is not yet a Christian. Certainly that is the vocation of, of any Christian is to go out and to draw people to Christ. We just looked at the book of Acts. I spent a lot of time there. I would encourage anybody who wants to become a Christian, go back and study the book of Acts. There you have all the conversion accounts and the elements are pretty much the same from every conversion account. People were being taught the gospel. That's how faith comes, Romans 10, 17. They believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He was the Messiah, that He established His church. Hebrews eleven six. they had faith. They understood that sin uh, was going to condemn man, that all men have sinned, Romans three twenty three, and the consequence is death. And so we need to repent of that sin as Christ has commanded, Luke 13, 3 and 5. We need to confess Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10, and then we need to be immersed in water for the remission of our sins. Jesus mandates it in Mark 16, 15, 16. Peter says it's for uh, baptisms for the remission of sins. It's how you get into Christ. That is the uh, reenactment of the death, burial, and resurrection in the water in which you come up and you are a new creation in Christ. When you do that, you are added to the church by the Lord Himself, Acts 2, verse 47. You don't sign the roster and that makes you a Christian. The Lord adds you to the church when you've obeyed the gospel. And then you have to be faithful. That's your goal the rest of your life, to be faithful to Christ. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, Revelation 2, 10. And being faithful, that is what makes up your Christian influence upon others. If you're here and you're not a Christian, please don't leave without talking to me. We'd love to study with you. If you're watching it online, go to portagechurchchrist.net, call us, email us. If we're not in the area, we'll study with you uh, by phone or we'll find a faithful church in your area. If you're here, if there's another way that we can assist you, you can come forward as we're led in a song of invitation.